I'm Jorge Salazar, reporting from SC15 in Austin, the 27th Annual International Conference for High-Performance Computing, Networking, Storage, and Analysis. The event showcases the latest in supercomputing to advance scientific discovery, research, education, and commerce. On the podcast is Alan Alda, an Emmy Award-winning actor who champions communicating science to the public. Alda founded Stony Brook University's Alan Alda Center for Communicating Science, which trains scientists and health professionals on how to communicate more effectively with the public, public officials, the media, and even other scientists outside their own discipline. Here's Alan Alda. We're thrilled to have you speak in Austin at the Supercomputing 2015 conference. Um, How does it feel to do this? It's very exciting. First of all, there are going to be a lot of smart people there. And secondly, there are going to be a lot of them there. I think I'm talking to about 4,000 people. That's what they told me anyway. That's an exciting event when you get all that many people in a room focused on one idea. I'm really looking forward to it. Well, I guess the big idea at this conference, the theme is transformation, how technology and software of high-performance computing, uh, these are the supercomputers, how they make big and positive changes, real changes in the world. HPC matters. What are your thoughts? Well, I think the kind of transformation that's already been brought about by high-performance computing is extraordinary and for it to go further and really fully realize its potential that requires another kind of transformation I think you know as you probably know I'm very interested in communicating science clearly and accurately Uh, not interested in dumbing it down but the problem is powerful computing affects all our lives and can eventually save our lives. It'll, it can eventually help us survive some of our own um, unfortunate efforts in, that have affected climate, for instance. To model climate change is one of the great benefits we're going to get from uh, supercomputing. The trouble is to really help the public understand all the benefits that they can get from supercomputing. It has to be communicated with clarity so that they get it and they get excited by it. I mean, I've seen some videos of how Parkinson's disease can be positively affected by supercomputing, epilepsy, uh, batteries, a new kind of battery that'll run longer and be more. Those things are going to transform our lives. I think we have to transform the scientists who are explaining this to the public before the public will allow them and participate with them in transforming their own lives with this amazing ability to model things on supercomputers. What is something that you would really like to tell a a scientist who's having trouble getting support? I think it's a problem for all of us that, from what I hear, government and individual companies are cutting back on the the support, the financial support to giving computing, which doesn't seem like a very forward-thinking idea because the world runs on computing now. I mean, there's so much data that's available that has to be sorted through and and made meaningful. How can you do it without high-performance computing? I'm I'm in the middle of watching a wonderful documentary about 
the Large Hadron Collider at CERN. And I had forgotten until they reminded me in the, in the movie that the World Wide Web was created at CERN to provide hundreds of thousands of computers to work on the, the problem of figuring out the meaning in, in all the data they're getting. They get so many billions of bits of data. It's meaningless without this kind of computing. And when you think about how important it is to our survival as a species with just climate change alone, if we don't model the climate well, if we don't seriously approach that, we're going to be in serious trouble. The group I'm going to be talking to are people who are in... We need, there, we need that group to talk with us with clarity and, and to talk vividly to us, to tell us stories, because that's how we understand things. That's how we follow and remember what you have to say. You can't talk uh, a private lingo to us. And it's very easy. You know, when you know something really well, it's very easy to forget what it's like not to know it at that level. I really believe that efforts like the one I have at Stony Brook University, the oldest center for communicating science, efforts like that are really needed to get scientists and engineers to make it clear what they do, what they need to do as well, and how urgent it is to get it done now. And so we are, we, we're working hard on that. We have we have a dozen affiliates around the country and universities and uh, medical schools and other institutions. And we're getting uh, we're getting four or five more in Texas uh, in the next month. We're working hard at it, and and it's a movement I think that's spreading around the world. This idea that science can be explained with clarity and with vividness so that the rest of us can catch on to the beauty and excitement of it and the importance of it to our lives. So I'm glad to see it happening. I'm glad to be a part of that. Yeah, all that and also just uh, like not dumb it down. The flavor of science is still there. No, it's really important when we say it over and over and sometimes people don't really understand that we really mean it. We don't want scientists to dumb down science. It's not only not good for science, it's not good for the people listening. It's not good for the public. But you know, it's not just the public that we have to communicate with or that scientists have to communicate with. I consider myself part of the public and I want to be communicated with really well. Scientists have to communicate with the people who control the purse strings, the government, corporations, funders, and then they have to communicate with one another because if you're not in exactly the same field, and sometimes if you're not in exactly the same lab, you don't understand what this other bright person is saying really well. So it's urgent that we learn to communicate better. Alan, would you tell us a little bit about what you've been doing lately, helping people communicate science, get past this curse of knowledge, I guess. Yeah. Why is this important to you? Yeah, it's important to get past the curse of knowledge. It's a wonderful phrase because it's so counterintuitive. Knowledge, you would think, would be a good thing to have. How could it be a curse? But it's a curse when you forget what it's like not to understand things the way you understand them or not to understand the language you use, the jargon you use, 
to describe it. We have to get past that curse or we won't be able to work together. We won't understand the great advances that are being made, the great advances that are possible. So I've helped start the, all the Center for Communicating Science at Stony Brook University, and we have affiliates all around the country, soon around the world. And we train scientists in unconventional ways. Uh, one of the things we train scientists to do is improvise, not to make them comedians or actors, but it puts them in touch with the audience. They have a personal connection with the audience. And that ability to read, in a way, to read the mind of the people you're talking to and make sure that you're paying attention to what they need to know and how well they're following you, where you can start your explanation, how far in can you go when you begin talking, how early do you have to go back in time in their understanding of it. In other words, how basic you have to get before you can go deep. That's all putting your attention on the person listening. And it's more important to put your attention on them than it is on what you have to say. It's, it doesn't matter what you say if they don't get it. So you really have to make it a personal communication. And one of the things that we, this might interest uh, the people listening to this. If you're a scientist, we have a challenge for you. It's called the flame challenge. And every year we ask scientists to see what it's like to take the challenge of explaining something very difficult so that an 11 year old can understand it. And this year's question is what is sound, which was suggested by real 11 year olds. And you don't have to be an expert in sound. You just have to see how good you can be at explaining the basics of what sound is. But it has to be engaging for an 11-year-old. It has to be understandable for an 11-year-old. And it really has to convey information. And the kicker is that real 11-year-olds are the judges of the contest. And they're very good judges. They're really sharp and smart, and they want information. And they want it to be entertaining, too. But they don't want it to be stupid and silly. So they're a tough audience. And it's a great learning experience for scientists to say, oh, I can do that, and then find out it's not that easy. We have two categories. We have videos and written explanations, very short explanations. But if you go to flamechallenge.org, you can find out how you can uh, take part in it. And teachers can sign up their classes to be the judges. And it's very exciting. Last year, we had about 24,000 kids all over the world and hundreds of scientists contributing entries. And uh, the winners announced, and there's a cash prize, and the winners announced they're at the World Science Festival each year. And we bring the winner in from wherever they are in the world. It's a very exciting contest. And it, it's educational for the scientists because they find out that it's not that easy to do and might get them interested in getting even more serious about figuring out how to communicate better. You've been listening to Alan Alda of the Alan Alda Center for Communicating Science. For SC, the International Conference for High Performance Computing, Networking, Storage, and Analysis, I'm Jorge Salazar.